The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. Uh, we're coming off of uh, somewhat of a bittersweet weekend for baseball here. Uh, we did have some good stuff in the college ranks. The The name Tommy White is causing opposing pitchers to wake up in cold sweats. He hit two more home runs. He has an uh, early season total of nine home runs. So he's a freshman, uh, first baseman at NC State, making a name for himself. Uh, obviously, last episode, we talked with Bradley Smart about some college bats to know. Him being a freshman, he's not draft eligible for this upcoming draft. But still, for next year, you want to keep the name Tommy White in mind. If you can catch a game or catch some highlights, I suggest you do so. Uh, we also had uh, minor league training camps starting up. So the pictures and photos, I should say, and uh, video have started to make the rounds on the internet and on Twitter of uh, our prospects getting together. So that's the fun stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we also have looked at um, the fact that because of the lockout, you have uh, over 300 players that were minor leaguers. They were added to their team's 40-man roster for Rule 5 protection. And now they're essentially be without any place to play while the lockout is still in effect. Um, they're unable to participate in minor league camp or any games there because their contracts have already been purchased. And then they're obviously locked out from working out at major league facilities. So that's not the greatest. We're not happy with that. But we're not here to bring bad news. We're here for the good stuff. Today, we have another great guest. Uh, I decided to have a sequel, a part two for our first year player draft preparation. So this time we're looking more at some deep league guys some names to know kind of in that fourth and fifth round when you're getting into your dart throws. Um, so what I've done is I was able to uh, ask a guest and a, a guy that I enjoy following uh, to come along. Uh, and that's Bailey Shrebnik. Did I get that right again? I know we tried that before. And... You got it right the first time. This time you're, you're close. It's a uh, Shrebnik, but thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this discussion. So Bailey is a writer for Fantasy Six Pack, as well as Prospects1500.com. He's also co-host of the Florida Prospect Report podcast that covers everything minor league related in the state of Florida. So yes, definitely, Bailey, welcome. Thank you for, for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, so you, I know, had published an article uh, a couple weeks ago now um, on Fantasy Six Pack uh, about uh, FYPD prep. And so that's the reason why I want to have you on, especially with your kind of uh, in-person experience down in Florida. Talk about some guys that are outside of the top 25, top 30. Um, and again, getting into some deeper league names, some of those back-end guys to know. Before we get into the actual names, though, I always want to ask about the process. So for you, um, how do you prepare for a first-year player draft? Absolutely. So I believe the uh, like the preparation is multifaceted. You know, I, I don't think there's one thing you can do to prepare. Uh, first off, I would say just consume as much media as you can. You know, almost all major prospect websites are putting out first-year player draft rankings. So I would suggest reading and referencing them. Obviously, you know, don't treat it like uh, like a hard and fast thing. Like, you know, if a certain site has a guy ranked 30th, that doesn't mean they're the 30th best. That's just their ranking. But it is definitely a really good reference that you should be uh, looking at. Secondly, I would say know your league. Like, know who's available. In some leagues, uh, the player pool consists of any unrostered minor league prospect and not just first-year player draft guys. So... In one league, I was able to draft Juan Yepes in the second round simply because I knew he was available. And I only knew that because on fan tracks, I looked at the available players and I scrolled down and saw Yepes. And I was like, okay, that's great. Because most of the people who you're drafting with, you would you know assume, might not be doing that kind of research and are just assuming it's only the first-year player draft guys. But if your league allows you to get any unrostered prospect, guys like Davis and De Los Santos, Junior Caminero, Ian Lewis, Willie Vasquez, even guys like Ryver Sandmartin, they might be available in your league and could provide you more value than a first-year player draft guy because they have arguably more experience. Very good. So that's a that's actually a really great point. I know I, I've been in some different leagues for Dynasty where you do have one league set up where it is literally only people from that draft class that you're pulling from, right? And anybody that's unrostered, they're free agents. That's a different process at a different time. And then you do have where it's kind of a grab bag. It's just any minor leaguer, anybody that's not on the major league roster can all get picked up within that draft. So I think knowing your league, doing your research, that is huge. Um, so the next question I had for you, Bailey, is looking at the name, what kind of attracts you to certain FYPD eligible players to draft in your leagues or even just to, to write about? For sure. So I would say, I mean, first off, if I'm on the clock in a first year player draft, I'm taking the best player available in my eyes. I feel like that should be the goal of a first year player draft is just to get the most value for your pick and not pick for need or pick for win now. I, th I don't think that's a good strategy. Um, but in terms of like what attracts me just to certain prospects, I would say like just their combination of floor and ceiling. I want a guy who is um, safe, but I also want someone who has a re really nice ceiling. And obviously very few prospects have both of those things. So you want to find the right balance and especially considering where you're picking in the draft. Um, you know, we're going to get into some specific names in a little bit, but yeah, so that's just kind of what I'm looking for. I, I tend to lean college players, especially hitters over high schoolers or uh, international signings. But uh, there's one draft I was in where I, I selected James Wood, Jay Allen, and Joshua Baez within the first 25 picks. So those are my three picks. Those are all high school hitters. And obviously, you know, 
not you know safest in terms of floor, but I picked them. I've had Allen 13th overall, Wood 18th, and Bias 27th. At all those, at all three of those picks, I thought I was taking by far the best available player on my draft board. All right, so that also makes sense to me as well. Of you want to make sure whether it's your own rankings, if you're using another sites or kind of a um, compilation of sites rankings as well to understand your own process. And I think Bailey, what you were pointing out makes a lot of sense too, uh, as far as attacking best player available, especially the guys that we're talking about. If you're getting into round three, round four, round five, at this point in time, doesn't really matter what position they play. It doesn't really matter what holes you may have in your roster. You're not using this point or this part of the draft to fill those things that comes from other areas. Right now, you're just looking to gather talent that can turn into value for you. So that's just you veteran listeners, I know you already know that, but any first-time dynasty players, that's something to keep in mind. You're not using this part of the draft to kind of paper over any holes. You're just trying to pick up young guys that could possibly hit big for you at some point in time. Um, with that said, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back with Bailey, and then we're going to talk about some deep league prospects for you to know as you continue to prepare for your first-year player draft. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, and we're back. So, Bailey, the first name um, that we have is a Yankee. Uh, he's a shortstop, and that is Trey Sweeney. Just to give a breakdown about Trey Sweeney real quick, he, 20, he is 21 years old. Uh, he's a left-hand batter. He's a first-round pick from Eastern Illinois University. Uh, only played three games uh, at the uh, complex before getting promoted to low A Tampa. Uh, his line there in 129 plate appearances, he put up a 245, 357, 518 line, did have six home runs. So we have a bit of power there. Um, what's your breakdown on uh, Trey Sweeney, Bailey? Yeah, so Sweeney's definitely uh, the biggest name we're going to be talking about. Uh, he is uh, and definitely a lock for a first round pick in your first year player drafts in my article. I ranked him sixth, which I know is higher than consensus, but I really like Sweeney that high. Um, the only players I had higher than him were the three high school shortstops, uh, Meyer, Watson, and House, and then uh, had Henry Davis and Colton Kowser ahead of him to college bats. But, but after that, I think Sweeney's the best player uh, in this draft class. And I also think he's pretty underrated, uh, especially considering the numbers he put up in college and the numbers he put up once he got to Tampa. I really like his combination of his hit tool 
uh, when coupled with his plate discipline and power. Uh, at Tampa, he had a 22.5 strikeout rate and a 14% walk rate. That's really encouraging. I realize, you know, he's a college-level hitter in low A, so we really got to – we got to see what he does this season once he gets to high A or double A, wherever they decide to start him. And he also did have a 133 WRC plus. So he really destroyed the uh, low A Southeast league. And I, I'm expecting him to break out in a big way in 2022. So I would recommend drafting him if possible in your first year player draft, because I think he's going to return a great value. Yeah. So one of the things that I saw um, in doing the research, you mentioned the walk, to K rate, which even with the advanced age or the advanced bat, because of him being a college hitter, you still like to see um, a double digit walk rate and a, and a pretty low, especially for today's game, pretty low K rate. Uh, one other thing that jumped out to me was the Babbitt was only 280. So to me, that means that there could be some lack of luck that he runs into, right? Some some balls that maybe he hit that just didn't find a hole, didn't find grass. And whenever I see anything like that, along with the walk rate, when I think about ceiling, I'm always thinking about, okay, what does this guy look like if he can get into the 300s for a bad right? If some more of those balls start to find grass, maybe not only does that batting average rise from the 245, maybe he can get into the you know mid 250s, 260s. But uh, what's the quality of contact? So if he's already showing some power with the six home runs, what does the ceiling look like? Can he can he solidly get into double digits um, for a full season? So let me ask you, Bailey, just to kind of stay on Sweeney before we move. Where where do you see his ceiling? Where do you see him being able to like max out best case scenario? Yeah, I think he has a a really promising ceiling. Uh, I know there are people out there who. Uh, I guess our view his swing is questionable if you want to call it that, but I think it works for him and he should be able to hit higher velocities as he goes up the levels in the minor league. So I think, I mean, he put up an 875 OPS in the low A Southeast league. And I feel like that's something you could expect him to do in his prime in the major leagues. If all goes well, I could see him hitting, you know, at least 25 home runs a season, if not more, if all goes well, I think, I think this is a really talented player. Okay, so that is Trey Sweeney, shortstop out of the Yankee system. Next guy is also a shortstop coming from the red system, and that is Jose Torres. Jose Torres, 22 years old. Um, shout out to Jose Torres in my research. Saw that he's from uh, Towson, so shout out to Baltimore County, my old stomping grounds. Went to Calvert Hall High School. Shout out to them. He's a right-hand hitter from NC State. He spent most of his season at uh, Loe Daytona, and he put up a pretty nice line in 107 plate appearances, 337, 383, 568. So with Jose Torres, um, and I'm not going to put you in a position to straight compare to Trey Sweeney, but Torres looks like maybe he has a little bit more um, obvious, uh, maybe some more obvious value uh, just from that hit tool a standpoint something that might be able to carry him a little bit quicker up through the ranks versus what Trey Sweeney has been showing us so what are you seeing from Jose Torres I'm seeing a really impressive player I I think this might be one of the most underrated players in this first year player draft class uh he was a third round pick for the Reds and uh he was touted as a glove first player you know uh defense over offense and then you see the line you put up in low a and it really, really catches your eye. I mean, as you said, a uh, batting average over 300, 
and his OPS and his WRC plus were higher than Trey Sweeney's. Uh, and he hit uh, Torres hit four home runs as well. Uh, this is a guy I want to say I have in five of my leagues or six of my leagues. I've gotten him almost everywhere I could in my first year player drafts this off season. And um, you know, another thing that was really intriguing was his walk rate and strikeout rate. The strikeout rate was 15.9, walk rate 7.5. You know, uh, strikeout rate in the in the teens is definitely something you'd like to see from a player in their debut. He was the, the low A Southeast League player of the month in the final month of the season. And yeah, I feel like, you know, he's similar to uh, Sweeney in the respect of a uh, college level uh, bat, you know, having a really strong debut in the low A Southeast League. I've seen both of these players play in person and both of them left an extremely positive impression on me. And I think the one area where Torres uh, has a little bit more on Sweeney would be his speed. I think Torres, uh, maybe he could hit double digit stolen bases in his prime. Yeah, and, and just to add on that, some questions and things that I saw when I was trying to look at some video of Torres, what does he look like if he if he can add on a little bit more to his build, um, especially in that power standpoint, right? Can he get to a little bit more power by adding a little bit more strength? Uh, I like the swing. It's loose, easy mechanics. The hips and hands separation is kind of average. He, he doesn't really cock it uh, to generate a ton of power, but between kind of tweaking that swing and adding a little bit more strength to his body i wonder can he go for at least doubles power and if he can get doubles power maybe he's not getting into that 25 home run standpoint like you were kind of talking about again with sweeney but maybe he can get into the teens low 20s and then again if he can keep his speed now you're talking about double digit steals as well he may be more of a run creator versus a run producer for future reds lineup but it's still somebody that, like you said, you, you'd love to see is definitely a positive debut, somebody you want to keep your eyes on. So Jose Torres from the Cincinnati Reds, that's our second uh, player here. The third one, also from the Reds organization, uh, and I know we've talked about him kind of off mic previously, Bailey, but this is Justice Thompson, who's an outfielder. He turned, uh, he was 20 years old through last season, so he's turned 21 recently. Um, he's a righty. He's also coming out of the ACC from UNC. He was a sixth round pick. Also played at low A Daytona for most of last season. Now, his line may be a little bit uh, misleading, right? And I think Baylor's going to speak to this. So the line, 217, 341, 333, two home runs, and that's in 83 plate appearances. Don't really like to see the slugging lower than the on-base percentage. Pretty low average. So just kind of looking at it, I'll admit I was even kind of surprised with his inclusion here. But Bailey, I, I know you like this guy, so go ahead and speak to why there might be more to Justice Thompson than just that line. Yeah, I think Justice Thompson's uh, tools are really intriguing. Um, obviously, the strikeout rate being 27.7% and, you know, the low ISO and slugging are not uh, a big draw. But uh, I really like his uh, his hit tool, and I like his speed. Uh, I think he can stick in center field. He is, he's a good defender. So, you know, the, the big question for him is how much power is he going to grow into? If he grows into 20 home runs in his prime, then he could be a 20-20 threat as a center fielder, and that's big. Uh, or, you know, 
Maybe he grows into low double digits home runs, but he still has that elite speed. So yeah, it's really going to come down to how his plate discipline develops as he goes to the minor leagues. He did have a 15.7% walk rate in Daytona, so that is good. Um, especially, you know, since he had a higher strikeout rate, at least the walk rate was good. Uh, when I saw him play, I was I was pretty impressed with him. You know, he was in a lineup with Jose Torres, Ellie De La Cruz, Reese Hines, you know, some really uh, talented hitters, and he still made a very positive impression on me. You know, this is a guy you can get uh, late in your first-year player drafts. He's not going to be going as early as Sweeney or Torres. So I definitely think he's worth a dart throw pass like pick 75, 100 around that range. And if he doesn't work out, you're not wasting a pick because it was that late. But if, if he does work out, you're going to get a really talented player. So the ups, upside is definitely there. All right. So that is Justice Thompson, um, outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds. So we're ping-ponging right now between Cincinnati and New York. We got another Yankee infielder. This is Cooper Bowman. Now, Cooper Bowman is uh, one more ACC uh, guy. He was drafted out of Louisville. Um, He actually transferred to Louisville from a JUCO. He's 22 years old. He was at low A Tampa for the bulk of his season. And he put up a line 237, 348, 441, three home runs, eight doubles. Uh, And again, that's in 112 plate appearances at low A Tampa. So what are you seeing with Cooper Bowman specifically? And and even more so because one of the questions I have with him is, is he just like a utility guy? Is he just like a super utility, put him at second? If you have to stick him at shortstop, you can maybe, and then put him kind of in the corners at outfield, especially in left. Or is there something more to his abilities? I mean, I feel like uh, his floor would be a utility guy, which is, you know, not a bad thing at all. I feel like he was really impressive in the low A Southeast League. In just 27 games, he stole 11 bases with a very uh, reasonable walk rate and strikeout rate, uh, above average on base percentage. And he put up very similar, if not better, uh, contact stats to Sweeney, whose contact stats were elite. And I feel like with Bowman, this is a guy who is really going to break out again. You know, like I said with uh, with Torres, you know, it's a guy you can get in like the mid-rounds of your first-year player draft and, uh, and, you know, expect to have a good season because he has a great hit tool and I think he has room for more power. So, and the, the speed is a lock. Like that's, that's his biggest tool for me is his speed. I really do like Bowman. Uh, he went to the same college as Nick Solak, who was also originally drafted by the Yankees. And, you know, Solak, made it to the majors. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like double-digit home runs and steals in his prime is a reasonable expectation for Bowman. I want to say I drafted him in at least three of my leagues, and I was actively trying to get him in all of them. So, uh, yeah, re- I'm pretty high on Cooper Bowman. Um, it sounds like what I'm hearing is there is a low ceiling for Cooper Bowman, but that low ceiling, if everything clicks, he could just be a very regular sort of everyday second baseman right like that that's sort of his his best outcome is he's getting the bulk of plate appearances as a second baseman for the Yankees or whomever and with that he's going to make use of some speed and he might be able to have a, a bit of pop to, to get in kind of that that low teens number right yeah I don't see him having like 25 to 30 home run upside like Trey Sweeney but I do think that you know 
double-digit home runs and maybe even 20 or more steals if he can get everyday playing time is uh, some is not out of the realm of possibility. All right. So, again, that's Cooper Bowman, uh, second baseman. They kind of have him listed as just infielder. He's a guy that's probably going to stay on the dirt somewhere uh, for the Yankees. Next name is a pitcher. This is Michael McGreevy, and he's a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's 21 years old, righty. He was number 18 overall. So St. Louis is actually pretty high on him coming out of UC Santa Barbara. Definitely more command over stuff from uh, pretty much every report that you that you read, even though I did see one report as we were getting ready for this episode that was saying, and I think this is from MOB Pipeline, excuse me if I'm uh, misquoting or misattributing, but they were saying his stuff uh, is starting to tick up a bit. Um, to sit around 96 sort of consistently. With that being said, what have you seen from McGreevy? I know he had a very short pro debut. I think it was only about six six or seven innings pitched total between Complex and Low A. So what were you seeing from McGreevy that uh, made you want to put him on this list? Yeah, I unfortunately missed him by like a day or two when I went to a Palm Beach Cardinals game in uh, uh, back in like August or September. But... Uh, everything I've watched and read about him is uh, leads me to like him a lot. Uh, he's a college pitcher with exceptional command. Like you said, command is arguably his best tool. And, you know, that's really promising for a college arm. I mean, I don't want, I'm not making this as a comp, but last year, the college pitcher in the first year player draft, whose best tool was his command was Landon Knack. And, that's a guy I was all over last year, and obviously he's popping up on top 100 prospect list now. Uh, you know, college pitchers with command are really intriguing to me. You know, he has, makes him have a high floor, and I also think he'll be able to progress through the Cardinal system very quickly. And the the big thing for me on McGreevy, uh, just from like a practical standpoint, is I don't think he's being hyped up really at all in like uh, like you know just dynasty baseball circles like whether it's like twitter or what other uh platform you use to discuss like uh dynasty i mean i grabbed uh, mcgreevy in two of my leagues one was 62nd overall and the other was 67th overall and you know this is a guy i would have you know no lower than top 40 on my ranking my rankings only went uh, i did the top 30 and then i did like a bunch of bonus names with no ranking in particular but if i had gone to top 40 he definitely would have been in there so the fact that I was able to grab it 67th overall in one league like I feel like that's going to be an exceptional return on investment because even if I don't hold on to him you know throughout his entire career I can trade him in a year or two and he's going to be he's going to be worth something because I think you know I think he has a really high floor yeah so in talking about the high floor to his his possibly sort of lower ceiling um, three solid pitches, right? It looks like he he has two um, two breaking balls. He's got a slider. He's got a curve. The changeup seems to be somewhere between average to fringy, depending on what you read. Uh, so I guess my question with with McGreevy is nothing's at a plus level again, stuff wise, right? Everything's sort of average to maybe slightly above average. What do you think he has to do to to make that move from being in that back end, you know, that SP5 to, you know, Merp type, you know, range 
to actually becoming sort of a solid SP3. Because I don't think anybody sees him as being an ace, right? He just doesn't have the, the velocity and the um, the pitch mix for that standing. So I don't think anybody sees him making that big of a jump. But it looks like, you know, there's enough command guys, enough history of command guys being able to be that solid SP3. They're going to eat innings because they know how to throw strikes. They know how to um, get their uh, outs, especially if they can get ground ball outs or swing and miss outs so they can eat up innings for you without giving up too much damage. How can he become one of the, one of those types of guys versus just being a sort of streamer? Uh, you know, if you have to plug in uh, him into the back end of your rotation type of guy, what's, what's the difference there for him? I would say the most likely route to him being, you know, like an SP two SP three would be if he found more velocity, which is obviously a really, uh, Really simple thing to do, just find more right. velocity. You just you look <laughs> obviously yeah. Team. You look under the couch covers, you know, <laughs> under the cushion. Yeah, but uh, if you can get a few more ticks on his fastball, like that would obviously change uh, his outlook for you know in a really positive way. But if not, I still think the command will make all of his secondaries play up a lot. So he's still gonna find his way into the Cardinals rotation at some point. But you know, if his off-speed pitches take a step forward you know that would also be really nice but uh overall i would say yeah if he can find more velocity on his fastball then that tremendously improves his outlook which i already think is a positive outlook all right so that's michael mcgreevy a pitcher from uh the cardinals organization next we move on to jordan vrs if i get that wrong please at home uh, i apologize correct me but he's an outfielder from the phillies system Young guy, super young guy, 17 years old uh, in this past season in the complex league. He put up a line of 255, 406, 468, had three home runs, and it was just in 64 plate appearances. Uh, One big thing that jumped out to me before we get into kind of breaking them down, uh, Bailey, is the K rate and the walk rate almost equal and in a positive sense. Walk rate was 17.2, K rate was 18.8. So that's showing me that there's an eye on this guy. And again, I know it's complex ball. I know control isn't great. But to me, when I see numbers like this, what that signals to me is if you're playing against pitchers that already lack control, you're uh, smart enough and you have the ability enough to recognize what actually should be a strike, what should actually be in your zone versus just going up there hacking. So just a a word to the wise, I know for a lot of people, they just throw out complex league stats, walk rates, K rates, who cares? But my thing is, if you you turn it around and let's say this guy had a 40% K rate, you'd be a little concerned. Because again, if pitchers aren't throwing strikes to begin with because they lack that ability, they lack that maturity at, at the complex league, to have, you know, super high K rates, means that you're pretty much going up there hacking with no real plan and not really the the best contact ability. So show me what VRs has done. Uh, again, 17.2 walk rate versus that 18.8 K rate. That to me is a solid foundation for pitch recognition. So that's that's my sort of little soapbox thing there. But Bailey, I'll turn it over to you about Jordan VRs. No, yeah, I definitely agree with your, uh, your analysis there. I really like uh, his walk rate and strikeout rate. That's a really positive sign. Uh, he put up a 406 on base percentage and a 132 WRC plus, and obviously, it is uh, rookie ball, so you don't want to read too much in the stats. But you know, it's still a really, really exciting debut for him to have. And you know, he's a high school bat, but I expect him to uh, progress well through the you know through the minor leagues. I think this is a guy 
who is going to be an on uh, very valuable in on base percentage leagues. I feel like um, you know just because of that walk rate, that really good plate discipline, and you know he's going in like the sixty to seventy five range in drafts, which I just feel like is kind of insane. Like I got him in three of my leagues: sixty first overall, seventy first overall, and seventy third overall. And the reason I think that is insane is because I would have him top 35 in my rankings. Like he just missed the top 30 for me. And in my, you know, my article, I said that. And I mean, you know, the guys who I just ranked ahead of him were Sam Bachman and Cooper Keeney. And I feel like there's a really legitimate argument to put Jordan Veers ahead of them. Uh, I, you know, I just don't know why he's not getting that kind of hype. I feel like they're just because of his frame, there is a, reasonable projection for 20 plus home runs if he uh, if his hit tool progresses uh, a guy who was going in like that 60 to 75 range last offseason in the first year player drafts uh, who was a high school hitter was Kobe Mayo and I don't I am not comparing Veers to Kobe Mayo because Mayo has insane power and I think he, he's a more polished player overall especially two years removed already from when he was drafted but what I am saying is I think the 60 to 75 range is the sweet spot to get an underrated high school player who has um, like intriguing tools such as, you know, power and on base skills. Cause I think Veers reasonably can get 20 home runs and a high on base percentage in his prime. This is a guy I am very fond of. Yeah. And, and looking at video, uh, I liked the, the look of the swing. Um, one thing that, concern me is looking at the pull side power which concern you know it it, it kind of cuts both ways right because again he's 17 going to be 18 so him being an extreme pull hitter is not really surprising uh it's something that you would probably get with the bulk of teenage hitters uh just in the nation but what I wonder is I look at the extreme pull side numbers and then I look at his Babbitt being uh, at 257. And now I start to think, man, if he can mature as a hitter and be a little bit more all fields in his approach, can that Babbitt go up and can he avoid getting shifted on? Right. So can again, just like we were talking about earlier, can he get from that 257 Babbitt into the 300, 310 range? And what does that line look like? Right. Does that help? the batting average go up, which it should. Does that mean he may get to a little bit more power into the gap going the other way, right? Which that's going to be helpful. And if he can get uh, moved away from possibly becoming a shifted power bat only, that's just going to build his value um, both in real life as well as in fantasy, right? That's just going to help more and more. So even if he's, even if the majority of the home runs come in that right field to right center range, if he can go doubles to left center uh, consistently and even going down the line, going up the middle, if he can go uh, kind of from foul line to foul line in his approach, then I think along with everything else that we're talking about, that pitch recognition skill, um, that's where a lot of value I I can see for him getting built up. Yeah. I would just want to add, well, first off, that's a a really good point. I definitely agree with what you said. And I just want to add that, you know, the Phillies in recent years have not been uh, that promising from like a development standpoint. Obviously, you know, guys like Adam Hazley, Mickey Moniak, who were top 50 prospects, you know, and sometimes even higher than that, depending on how far back you want to look, 
Uh, they did not really pan out well. And their system in general, outside of like Mick Abel and a couple other guys, is not, you know, it's one of the, I guess, weakest, if you want to say, in uh, in all of baseball right now. So that's a bit of a concern just from a development standpoint. Uh, but, you know, I think with Veers, he, uh, he's 6'4", 215. I, I feel like his tools are going to thrive no matter which system he's in. Um, you know, another question to ask would be if he's going to be a corner infielder or is he going to be a corner outfielder? I think he's going to end up in first base or right field. So that's going to be something to monitor. But, you know, and speaking of Phillies, there's another guy who uh, is definitely worth taking a look at in your first year player drafts. And that's William Bergola Jr. He was their big international signee. So although, you know, the Phillies have not the best reputation in the past decade or so, for uh, prospects, there are, uh, you know, some pretty interesting names and Andrew Painter as well. So definitely check out the Phillies in your first year player drafts this year. Yeah. Uh, you Talking about their lack of, of consistent history developing, um, obviously they had Bryson Stott. Uh, you mentioned Mika Bell. So they had some guys that seemed to be uh, on, on their way. Mika Bell, obviously, a little bit further off. Bryson Stott either this year or next year seems to be likely that he's going to make his debut. Um, I still, and I think I mentioned him on an earlier pod, but I still like Matt Verling, uh, just what he's did last year, his bad at ball data, especially if you look at his stat case page, just very interesting to me. And so I wonder if VRs could kind of fall into that, that sort of crowd of, he may just kind of sneak up on you. Um, if you're not paying attention, he may sneak up in another couple of years where you're seeing him uh, around double A and he's starting to climb some lists. So now is a chance where you can kind of get in early if you so choose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even if you if you even if you don't choose to draft him, I would still say he's definitely a name to keep tabs on keeping your watch list. Uh, you know, maybe a guy if he's drafted somewhere else, maybe he's a guy that you ask as a throw into a larger trade just so you can you know, have them on your squad at a later time after you've seen some more positive data. So um, that's that's Jordan VR's. The next guy that we have, also an outfielder, this is from the Rangers organization, and this is our last prospect to talk about. That's Aaron Zavala from the Texas Rangers organization. He's 21 years old uh, from University of Oregon, left-handed bat. He spent time at low A um, in 67 uh, plate appearances. He put up 302. 433, 434 as his line, had one home run, had four doubles. Uh, Zavala is uh, a name I'm starting to see a little bit more as I'm looking into deep league guys. So, Bailey, what what have you seen from him or what have you heard from uh, Aaron Zavala? I hate to keep saying the word underrated because I feel like it's kind of cliche, but I, I, you know, I just feel like uh, Zavala is not getting the kind of like hype he should be. Um, you know, I feel like uh, 25 home runs, maybe even more, is a reasonable projection for him. Just uh, the exit velocities he put up are just insane. Uh, I think he's especially useful in on-base percentage leagues. He put up a 433 on-base percentage in low A. I'll be a small sample size, but still, you know, 144 WRC+. plus Strikeout rate under 20. Uh, he even stole seven bases. I don't expect the speed to be a major factor in his game. But, uh, you know, this is a guy I think you can draft outside of like the top 30 and he's going to end up being a really smart pick for whoever takes him because 
I think in 2022, like, you know, this year, he's going to, that power is going to shine through in a big way. You know, he's a college bat. And I had him 25th overall in my rankings. And I said in the, uh, in my little blurb about him that I could see him being ranked even a few spots higher. I had him just behind Joshua Baez, Will Bedner, and Gunnar Hogland. I can totally see an argument having him as high as like 20 or 21. So, you know, Zavala is a guy I'm really high on. I Unfortunately, I have not seen him play yet because, uh, you know, he's not played in Florida where I am. But, you know, everything I've watched and read about him, uh, you know, just is a really intriguing player. So that's um, Zavala and, and some things that I saw, again, just trying to, trying to find some video online. Also wondering, can he consistently get to his power as he's going from level to level? So I saw uh, kind of a high ground ball rate, and that's something that you want to see him decrease some. You want to get uh, somebody with his ability uh, raw power-wise to get more balls in the air to drive, so less on the ground. And then that kind of puts him in the VR's camp of can he start hitting to all fields with, with some damage as well to avoid being shifted on. So two guys, both Zavala and VR's, that – I want to continue to watch and want to see what the ground ball and versus fly ball rates do. And especially the quality of contact, if he can go up the middle or going um, to opposite field again with some damage, staying in, um, keeping the back control, keeping the mechanics clean, but being able to drive it to make the defense along with the pitchers respect uh, what he can do. So it's not just, him doing damage on balls that are down and in because you know you get to double a and you're not going to find a lot of pitchers making mistakes down uh down and in once they have the book on you they're going to go away they're going to go away with velocity they're going to go down away get you to roll over on it and then that kind of mutes all the ability that you have so um curious to see if zavala and vrs can mature and make those adjustments as necessary yeah, definitely. I think that there is a, a higher likelihood of uh, VRs reaching that power ceiling. Sorry, of Zavala reaching that uh, power ceiling than VRs. Not to like you know compare the two, but just since we talked about them back to back, I think uh, I think just I feel like Zavala has a higher floor just because he's a college bat. So um, yeah, I'm just very intrigued from what I've seen about Zavala. Very cool. So uh, with that being said, uh, that's all of our names. And again, uh, we'll have all the names in the show notes as well, just so you can go and, and put your tabs on them in whatever platform that you use for fantasy, start looking up and doing your due diligence. Bailey, where can people find you and your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at XWO Bailey, like XWO Bailey. It's like a you know play on the baseball stat, XWOBA. Uh, you can find my podcast on Twitter at FL Prospect Pod. And, you know, definitely also give a follow to my co-host, Eric. Uh, he's Eric underscore Birdland on Twitter. And, yeah, I write for uh, Fantasy Six Pack. So uh, please check out my work there as well. Awesome. Um, on my end. I'm working on something for March. I've been kind of teasing that the last couple of pods. So I'm working on that. You will start to see more information. If you follow me on Twitter, I am at 
inside fastball capital i capital f so you'll start to hear me talk about that in the next couple of days as well um as always i want to remind you listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page you can find nick pollock and friends you can find dugout study hall with matt goodwin and alex chase you can find the red black and green baseball podcast with pat ellington they're all there plus more for you to find on one page find listen and subscribe With that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon.